Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Road to Rome podcast. My name is Jackson Fuller, and after a week hiatus, I am blessed to be joined again by my co-host, Connor Keenan, who was somewhere in Europe shredding the gnar, as we Americans like to say, on the, on the slopes, on the skis or the snowboard. Uh, Connor, how are you, sir? We didn't get to grill you about your 49ers last week, and too much time has passed, but... How are you doing today? I'm still not really over the the 49ers game. That was a tough one. Uh, Congratulations to the Eagles for winning against a team with no quarterback. Um, (laughs) uh, A great achievement. Um, I'm a Chiefs fan next Sunday, just out of sheer bitterness. Uh, But yeah, it's it's, it's good to be back. I didn't miss anything last week of, of any note. Quiet week in the golf world. Yeah, very quiet week last week. Thankful for James Price to come on and help digest it all with me and James will be back uh you're gonna this will be a quick one from Connor and I today it was kind of a a week weekend in the golf world um with all eyes on next week's waste management Phoenix Open the first designated event but we were able to secure an interview with uh longtime golf journalist Brian Mole from the United States from my neck of the woods in North Carolina so we'll have that for you at the end when we get done kind of recapping this week's results, and I think we uh, we got to start at Pebble Beach, Connor, a uh, an Englishman, a, a past and potential future Ryder Cupper, maybe. Justin Rose wins the AT and T Pebble Beach Pro Am. Uh, initial thoughts from you? I think we kind of both we had Justin Rose on our, you know, on the peripheral as potential Ryder Cup guys, but hopeful. I think, especially from a European perspective, that some of the young guns would step up. Uh, Rose has been playing some pretty good golf so far, and uh, if he goes out and wins some tournaments this year, I think he's going to be an easy selection for Luke Donald just based off his experience. Uh, what do you make of, of him winning and potentially joining up with this European Ryder Cup team in September? Yeah, it's it's definitely on the cards. Um, he's certainly got the experience. Whether he has enough form going in there will be a question. Let's not get ahead of ourselves with the the size of this tournament and the quality of field. There's only three players in the top 50 there this week, but winning's obviously not a bad thing. So um, it's encouraging. He, as you said, first win since 2019. It's been a long few years for, for Justin, and uh, to see him getting back in that winner's circle is just another good start of the season for Luke Donald's side. It's crazy to think about his kind of fall from grace because – I want to say he was number one in the world at one point. I can't remember what year. I think it might have been 20, 2019 or 2018. I remember vividly like being at an airport and buying a golf magazine with Justin Rose on the cover heading into the Masters. And he was the prohibitive favorite heading into that year in Augusta. And it's just kind of crazy. He's not going to be really mentioned with any of the top contenders at any of the majors this year. So, uh, but good to good to see him get back. And I think, when you look at, at Team Europe, from my perspective, you know they've got a good core of, of six individuals that have experience and are, you know, near the top of the world rankings. But it can never hurt to have one or two guys that have loads and loads of experience, not only at Ryder Cups but winning Ryder Cups. You know, he's been around a lot of winning European teams. Um, how you know you mentioned the weak field this week, you know. 
does does he move into a higher position in your mind or is it still we have to wait and see what lies ahead based off just how weak this field was and there are more difficult tournaments around the corner yeah with with so much time until the Ryder Cup it's any win by anyone will will make Luke Donald take a look at them you know um as as we previously talked about the sort of 10 11 12th man of these of this European team will not be the quality of the US um so there's a lot of guys fighting for it. um but as i said just to sort of come back from the wilderness for Rose is is nothing but a good sign and he's got a lot of time to keep working on his game and, and improve that form that he showed this week yeah i think let's just Quickly running down the guys that he immediately beat right behind him. Brendan Todd, Brandon Wu, Denny McCarthy, Keith Mitchell, Peter Malnati, and Taylor Pendrith. Uh, One Canadian, but five Americans who are very, very unlikely to be on the Ryder Cup team. (laughs) No, he didn't beat any stellar players there in in round four, but like you said, a win's a win. Uh, On the other side of the spectrum for me, Looking at Team Europe, Victor Hovland uh, entered this tournament as one of the favorites, along with Matt Fitzpatrick and Jordan Spieth. I think Fitzpatrick's, you know, a little banged up, and Spieth isn't playing exactly the best golf right now. So I kind of liked Hovland's position coming in. He was within three shots heading into the final round and shot a 71, a one under in the fourth round, finished T13. it feels like it's time for Hovland to win some more big tournaments. Not exactly that this is a big tournament, but are you, you know, are we, should we be a little bit more disappointed with Hovland's performance over the past couple of years that he's just maybe not getting the wins that his talent should be getting him? Yeah. T- um, disappointing to see him sort of get himself in a good position there Sunday and not compete like um, as one of the highest with uh, one of the the highest world ranking positions in in the tournament, you would have you would have thought that he would be contending more on the Sunday. But this this happens. Uh, do we want to see him win more? Yes. But as I said with Rose, long time to go until the Ryder Cup. Um, he's a shoe in, but sort of like Ram with the quick start that Ram has made this season, and Rory, you'd like to see Poplin sort of kick into gear as we go into major season rather than be stuck in second gear until mid-summer time. Yeah, for me as an American fan, I think Hovland's one of those guys that gives me a little concern is if he is, if he can not match but come close to Rahm and McElroy, I mean, that gives that gives Team Europe a really terrifying threesome at the top that I'm really not sure the United States can match just based off Rahm and McElroy probably probably being the two best players in the world. Um, but if, if Hovland, I'm not too scared of him at this, at this moment, but like you said, long way to go uh, until September. Uh, Pebble beach, beautiful course, beautiful to watch on TV. I loved the, you know, we don't get too much TV time of spyglass and Monterey peninsula, but uh I am as a huge fan of watching West Coast golf, especially in January and February. Part of me wishes this was a more serious tournament. You know, it's definitely a pro-am, but we don't even get the great pros there anymore just because of where it falls on the schedule and it not being a designated event this year. 
Um, what do you make of just, you know, the Pebble Beach tournament? Is it, are we headed for a time where this is really becomes even more of a hit and giggle? Are you concerned about it at all? Or is it just, it does it not really matter to you very much because we do have some really great events just around the corner? Yeah, this is, this goes back to the conversation we had about designated events and non-designated events that those that were not designated would get a lot worse. And I think at the time we sort of said that we take that for in return for the actual elevated events, like the Phoenix Open next week has 47 of the top 50 in the world. That's like a major field. So that's a really exciting tournament. And I don't mind the the change of pace at, at the AT&T. Obviously, it's got a per field uh, sort of getting worse by the year, but it, it is what it is. It's it's a it's one just to sort of fill the calendar now, which is a shame, but I'm I'm not too against it. If you want to watch it, you want to watch it, and and next week we'll sort of make up for that. As for Pebble, I would like to see. I saw this sort of floated on social media. People saying that they'd like to see like a higher, like a more important event event there. I would happily go to Pebble twice. Keep the program there and then sort of, I don't know when to be honest, but oh, the like sort of season finale time, something in the FedEx Cup, like all the big guys getting there. I, I would happily see that because I enjoy watching Pebble. Yeah, I think it's a it's a location that is it's a venue that's obviously part of the U.S. Open Rota. Um, and the women are going there in the summer as well. With the women are going there this summer. So, you know, we do see it more than most venues, you know, in that sense. There are years where we get it twice and one of them is as a U.S. Open as a major venue. It's just It's just tough to kind of swallow that you can see some beautiful holes like, like six and seven and, you know, even 18. Uh, I would just like to see it in a more competitive atmosphere with how cool would it have been today? If instead of it's Justin Rose battling Brandon Wu, it's Scotty Scheffler and John Rahm going to head to head at these holes. And uh, it almost leaves an even worse taste in my mouth just because the last time the U S open was there, it I know Brooks Kepka made a late run, but it really felt like over the final two days of that tournament, Gary Woodland had it wrapped up. Uh, I'm I'm eager for big names to get involved at a Pebble Beach tournament, just because I think that's one of the most beautiful places in all of the world, northern or the Monterey Peninsula, northern California area. And uh, it's just a bummer on this end for me that uh, it's not the most most competitive golf or the most uh, thrilling field. So, but it is what it is. We're like you said, next week, the waste management Phoenix open is going to be an incredible tournament to watch and really good build up to, uh, to the super bowl and watching the Eagles hopefully beat the chiefs. So uh, over why, in the deep, the Eagles? <laughs> my mom's from Philadelphia. Okay. So uh, got, got lots of family from, from Philly and Normally, I'm unlikable team in the world. They are an unlikable team. I get that, and I agree. And normally, I want the people around me to be sad about their sports, but with with (laughs) family, I'll uh, I'll support them and and wish them the best. Uh, It was an English sweep as far as uh, competitive tournaments go on the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour this week. Daniel Gavins wins the. Raz Hans Alkmaai Open, and uh, I butchered that pronunciation, but bear with me. Connor, you you kind of watched a little bit of that last Sunday. Uh, 
Take us to Mr. Gavin's final hole. What was that uh, roller coaster like? Just the, the tournament as, as a whole on the back nine was just a tough watch. <laughs> just a lot of nervy, bad golf played. So Gavin's, I believe, had a three-shot lead um, going down the last. Put his first ball in the water, hit another one, and then um, his approach shot, which was his fourth, hit hit that in the water. And somehow uh, escaped with a double bogey by holding a say about 15 foot putt for the win um as for the leaderboards there's nothing really of interest from a Ryder cup standpoint other than the hoy guard twins um just yeah one to move on from really then rasmus tough tough final round there right i mean he was 66 i'm pretty sure tied for the lead after round one uh you know 67 68 not anything special but kept himself right there near the top of the leaderboard and then to shoot 73 in the final round uh a little disappointing but that's that's, those are the bumps and bruises that are going to come with a a young burgeoning player and i definitely think there's multiple wins uh coming for him this year he's playing some pretty pretty good golf so far to start the dp world tour season but yeah it was uh like we said before this was not the most exciting week of actual uh, golf being played, but it's setting up for a great run with uh, Phoenix and the Genesis in LA the next couple of weeks. We did have a Saudi Arabian Invitational to monitor. I tried to find a stream on uh, Friday and could not successfully find one. So that was the end of me trying to watch that tournament. Abraham answer one. Uh, I just think the most notable thing from here is that only three PGA Tour players played in this event. That was filled with live guys. And two of them, Cam Young and Lucas Herbert, finished second and third, beating every live player except for answer. Is this a sign of what's going to come at the major tournaments, Connor? Are you concerned about how the live guys are going to get on with these not-so-competitive events before they get to the majors? Um, I, I'm not too worried about it. It'll be interesting to see over the first year how much of it is a factor, but we've seen so many underdog stories in majors with guys just coming off absolutely no form at all, like a really poor season to that time and then come back and win out of nowhere. So going into major tournaments, I think sort of form is what it is, but it can be overstated at times. So, but as I said, maybe the first year or two would be interesting to see how the live guys do. Yeah, and important to note, DJ and Cam Smith, the two guys that I think most people consider the biggest major contenders from the live group, uh, not in this field. So, well, uh, I think that's all that we really need to discuss for this week. Uh, Like we've said, the Waste Management Phoenix Open coming up. Can't wait for that. And uh, the Singapore Open on the uh, DP World Tour side of things will at least be a better field than this past week. And uh, the golf is really going to start heating up as we are now about from right now today on Monday. I think it's exactly two months until the Masters. So should be a should be a fun couple months as we gear up for the Masters. Connor, uh, thanks for joining me. Looking forward to talking to you next week about Phoenix. Yeah, sounds good, man. Uh, one one last uh, thing that I forgot to put in the running order. The uh, Swilkin Bridge at St. Andrews. Yeah. <laughs> An absolute disgrace. Is it? Are you? What? Give me. Give me the. Oh, it's, it's so <laughs> I know. Like sometimes you get a, a new patio and it's a lot brighter than you think at the start, and then the, the weather sort of turns down the brightness. But uh, 
no amount of rain unless it washes this decking or this patio away from the front of the bridge um it's not going to improve it uh yeah just a just a, a dark day for golf at least at least all those photos that people take of 18 on the bridge they won't get to see the uh the addition i don't think but it was a a sight for sore eyes when that first was unveiled to a lot of, to a lot of tactical framing about to happen to St. Andrews yeah. with yeah. Uh, their photos for sure uh awesome well thank you connor and without further ado here is our interview with mr brian mole Awesome. I'd like to welcome in Brian Mole to the Road to Rome podcast. Uh, Brian has covered golf for more than 20 years, and he's covered the Masters every year since 2016, with a couple even before then. Uh, according to The Athletic, he's a former PGA Tour caddy and a three-time Wilmington, North Carolina City Am champion. Brian, how are you doing today? Thank you so much for joining me. Jackson, I am doing well. Thanks so much for uh, having me and love to uh, talk some golf. Yeah, yeah. Uh, very excited. Uh, Brian and I uh, were semi-co-workers once upon a time in North Carolina. And uh, unfortunately, when we were working together, I wasn't, I didn't quite have the golf itch like I do now, but I'm glad we get to sit down here and, and discuss the upcoming 2023 season. But, you know, before we get into that, I'd love to to talk Augusta with you. You've been there you know, so often as a reporter, I know you've gone as a fan as well. Uh, what's your favorite memory, either covering or just attending the Masters as a fan? No, that's a great question. And uh, it's certainly the uh, the highlight of my professional calendar each year. I think everybody who knows me understands how excited I get uh, leading up to going down there. And while it's a long uh, week with a lot of work, it's, it's it just flies by because you're in such a great place. Um, yeah, there's been a lot of highlights. Uh, personally, I was fortunate enough to win the media lottery to get to play the golf course uh, the year, the Monday after Patrick Reed's victory a few years ago. So, you know, that's a once in a lifetime surreal experience that uh, could never be duplicated. But as far as covering the tournament, uh, a couple of things stand out. You know, I had the, I was one of the few who who was fortunate enough to have the opportunity to cover it during the pandemic year of 2020 and with, with virtually zero patrons on the grounds. And then also in 21, uh, which was just six months later uh, in the typical April date with uh, very limited uh, patrons for that. So the, the, the access was unbelievable. I mean, in, in 2020, there were no gallery ropes up um, and, and we were literally able to, walk in practice rounds and tournament rounds and be within 10 or 15 feet. I remember walking with Cam Smith on Sunday in the final round and watching him play the entire back nine. He had made a little charge there and was trying to chase down Dustin Johnson and was really my first experience with him. But uh, while both of those were great and uh, an opportunity that, that I'm very grateful to have had the, the 2019 Tiger Woods, uh, it, it stands apart. Uh, just talking about it right now, I get chills uh, thinking about that scene around the 18th green. Um, uh, just the, the the almost disbelief that this could actually be happening um, as it unfolded. I don't I don't know if you recall, but that was a 
that was an unusual year. It was the first time ever that the Masters went to split tees uh, on Sunday because there were very dangerous storms approaching the Georgia area that afternoon. So all the golfers were kind of on the golf course in the in the first morning, you know, early in the morning. So it had a different feel. And then certainly he took a hold of, you know, the, the tournament kind of midway through the backside, as we've seen so many times at Augusta National. And, and then just the uh, just the energy, the excitement. Uh, the, the the former champions, the the current players who who were there to congratulate him, uh, of course, obviously having his children there the first time they had been able to really understand uh, what it was like to see dad win a major. Uh, it, that you know the staff from Augusta National who who were out uh, kind of um, you know underneath the on the patio and underneath the awning there watching as he came up, just uh, those images I will never forget. And that was certainly a, a, a incredible moment in the history of golf. Where were you for like the moment, like he's walking down the fairway, him teeing off. Were you following him? Were you making sure you had a good spot at the green? Where were you kind of digesting that moment? I got up to the green. I had been kind of in and out. Um, you know, generally I try to spend as much time as I can on the golf course. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the Masters is a little different though than PGA Tour events or other majors. And and I like this about it because it makes for such a clean presentation uh, for the television viewer. But it's the only tournament where the media is not allowed inside the ropes and really doesn't have any special access points. So basically you're just kind of in among the patrons well you can imagine the size of the gallery following tiger on that day um so i i've positioned myself kind of up on one of the mounds behind the uh, the 18th green there so i could just uh as much feel feel it as see it yeah. you know what was going to happen knowing that i could watch a replay of and maybe all the details a little bit later with the incredible resources we have in the media center there that they provide for us but um, that's probably a moment you want to be in the crowd, like you said, to feel it. You don't you don't want to be the special media member inside the ropes. It had to be a lot more special being within the people that were all experiencing that moment together and uh, without their cell phones, like you uh, mentioned, the, the special magic that is Augusta National. No, it is. There's no place in the world that you can go in 2023 or 2019 and have that many people together and everyone is fully engaged in the moment and what's happening. And that's part of what makes it so cool. And you're right. Like, I love writing and reporting about golf, but at heart, I'm a fan of the game. I'm a fan of the greatest players. I'm a fan of the best stories. And knowing in that moment that here was this guy with a fused back who was many years removed from his prime. And we had seen, you know, little flashes of it in the year or so leading up to that. And certainly he had proven he was capable of winning again, but to emerge from that leaderboard, which was stacked with the hottest and best players in the game. And to show that, uh, you know, he still understood how to kind of maneuver his way and just hang around as he likes to say, and and then come out on top uh, and be able to close in, in the fashion that he did. Yeah, was really just uh, wanting to absorb as much of that as possible. What's your favorite hole out there, Brian? Uh, a lot to choose from. Uh, what 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 hole kind of stands out to you when you when you go back to cover that you uh, you can't wait to kind of go back and visit and, and watch some shots go into that hole? Well, this is not a unique answer in any way, but the twelfth hole I mm-hmm. think is the greatest par three in golf, and just that scene there around eleven green and. 
12T, of course, no one can go behind 12 green or 13T. Everyone's removed there. But just being able to get a good spot in that area, it's the lowest point of the property. The wind can cause a lot of problems there for the caddies and the players. And I, I enjoy watching that interaction on the tee box because uh, while I never was fortunate enough to caddy in the Masters, I have caddied on the tour. So I understand kind of what the players are trying to to sort through there. And um, that is that can be such a pivotal hole in the, in the golf tournament. I mean, there's so many holes on the back at Augusta where you feel like you can make a birdie coming in. Uh, certainly the two par fives. Um, 14 and 17 as well. And that whole, it's like, if you can just survive, if you can just hit a quality golf shot and hit the green and make your par and move forward, then uh, you, you, you set yourself up to have a really good chance to win the golf tournament. But I like going out there early in the week, Thursday and Friday, just watching, watching guys, maybe uh, masters rookies or amateurs come through there and kind of watch their first time playing that hole. Um, so certainly that that's at the top of my list. Um, a, a underrated hole early in the round that I enjoy is the third. Because I was going to uh, say that Brian, I was I was literally thinking like I want to mention number three because I think with with the guys hitting it further and far further, and that's you know a lot. Some people think that's not a good thing about where the game's going, but I think that's made three a more fun hole almost with the decision making that guys have to do out there. There are a lot of options off that tee, and uh, I, I think the tournament can be lost on the front as much as it can be maybe won on the back sometimes, or lost. But um, yeah. you know, you, one is maybe the most difficult starting hole in major championship golf, and then two and three are very good birdie opportunities. And you really feel like, as a player, I'm sure that you need to birdie one or both of those to kind of set your set yourself up for that gauntlet of four through eight, you know, four through seven. And then, um, you know, eight gives you, gives you another opportunity maybe for a birdie, but the third is great. Like you said, it, it depending on uh, where the tees are, where the holes located, where the wind is, it presents so many strategic options. Some guys, you know, want to bang it up there and, and try to get on the upslope and have a little pitch, but that is, uh, it's such a cool, unique green complex there with uh, obviously a ton of slope extremely narrow in depth on the left side a little deeper on the right and uh, a hole where uh, you'll see some bogeys you'll see some pars I mean you could you could argue that last year uh, with uh, Scheffler's chip in there that was the the hole that kind of uh, catapulted him on to to his victory because it was looking a little shaky for him early in the round and uh, yeah three and then with four right there, which can be uh, as much as a 230 or 40 yard par three and just the scariest shot. And, and the caddies will tell you that uh, the fourth tee is one of the most difficult places to accurately gauge the wind on the entire golf course, because you are, you are kind of sitting up high yet. Uh, you know, you're in a, in a tunnel of pine trees at the same time. And it's uh, what you're feeling at the tee may not be what's happening closer to the green. So uh that that is a cool spot to to watch some golf. You can if you're there too, you can kind of maybe if you're in the right spot, you can turn back and watch some guys hit their second shot in the number two as well. So uh, that's the beautiful thing about Augusta National that, that I really was able to experience during those pandemic years when there weren't many people out there. Like how many places where you could stand and just kind of turn turn in 360 degrees and watch golf. You know, depending on who was playing. Uh, one of the one of the beauties of the, that property for sure. 
it's uh it sounds it looks it everything about it just exudes uh, an aura a special place and uh hope, i hope to get there eventually i'm sure i will we gotta uh, hopefully uh not too far down the road though but let's uh let's talk this upcoming season a little bit uh and of course you know we've already started with the the masters talk so uh you know it's a couple months away still but it's never too early to dive in uh any any guys you're looking at early on that you know you favor out there i know rory's going to be the popular pick this year based off how he finished last year's tournament and how well he's playing uh you know any sleepers you might like uh what are some of your early uh what's the word uh feelings towards augusta this this time in 2023 yeah it's that's a great question and and i mean i think if you look at it right now uh obviously there's a lot of big tournaments to be played between now and then whether um you know we've got a couple more on the west coast and certainly the florida swing where we'll see a lot of the best players not only from the u.s but from around the world so so things can change someone could get hot like at this point last year scotty scheffler had not won Mm -hmm. a tournament in his career and uh and he ended up winning uh, twice before before the Masters, and, and and certainly kind of went or three times, excuse me, before the Masters, and went in there as the as the the hottest player and 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 cashed in on that. And we're in a similar situation now with Rory and Rom. I mean, it seems like every time those guys tee it up, if they don't win, they're they are right there. I mean, they're both obviously as talented as, as there is in the game, and they're performing at peak level. Uh, they will be the clear favorites. Uh, certainly would be a great story if Rory could complete the career Grand Slam there. I think everybody expects Rom to be a guy to win a Masters or two. He has been very, not maybe in contention a lot there, but he's certainly been a, con- a consistent top 10 finisher. Uh, I'm interested to see how Cam Smith and all of the guys who have made the choice to go to the Live Tour, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, they're still competing, but it's different. They're, they're playing 54 whole tournaments. They're playing against smaller fields. Um, really probably only about half the field has a legitimate chance to win most weeks uh, just for various reasons. Not everybody's going to be playing well all the time. So they don't have to beat as many people. Are they going to be as competitively sharp? Because Cam Smith, I think, is uh, – he was bound for number one in the world before he made that decision, and I love him. Uh, I've enjoyed watching him play as much as anyone. I just like his ability to score. You know, he doesn't always hit it perfectly, but he just understands how to get his ball in the hole in the fewest number of shots. Uh, so that that will be, uh, you know, he, he's, he's certainly contended at the Masters a couple of times already, had his opportunity to win there, and uh, the 12th hole got him. Uh, so that how does he, does he come in firing on all cylinders? Is he ready to go? And then going a little bit deeper, some guys that I like are Finau. I think uh, Finau has shown me a lot in the last uh, year with uh, his ability to close out tournaments and, and his putting has improved dramatically, which has always kind of been, uh, you know, the, the, the one question mark with his game. And Will Zalatoris, I think uh, uh, as long as he's playing in the Masters, uh, that he will he will contend he, his game is built for it. So those are kind of some guys, um, you know, I, I don't think, I think the, the Masters is the one tournament where you you just don't need to look very deep down the odds list, if you will, if you're trying to pick a winner. Don't, you know, you can forget those those guys that are 40 and 50 to one. Uh, not now. There's too many good players at, at the top and uh, just kind of trying to figure out who's played well there in the past and and who's on form coming in and generally that golf course will 
reward those players because you have to excel in every facet of your game. Yeah. And it's a great point about Scheffler last year because uh, February 2nd, 2022, I don't think he would have been on the lips of anybody trying to pick who would have won the Masters later that year. But uh, but you fast forward a month and a half and he's the hottest player in the world. So, uh, and we could, you know, Max Homa maybe with his kind of play right now, could there's going to be probably someone between now and uh, April that, that gets hot that uh, we're not really thinking of. So it'll be interesting to kind of, I guess that's why that's what really makes the the California and Florida swing. So interesting is to see who is rounding into form at the right time. Uh, the rest of the majors, I think we've got three really, really great venues this year. Um, what venue are you most looking forward to between uh, I'll read them out now for the listeners, just in case Oak Hill for the PGA championship, uh, LA country club for the U S open and Royal Liverpool Hoylake for the open championship of those three, which one are you uh, most looking forward to? Uh, LA country club by a wide margin. Um, first of all, because I've, ne- I've never seen it, but I've only heard incredible things about it from anyone who has ever been there and anything I've ever read about it. And there is a part of me that wishes all of the, uh, I have a West Coast bias and that I wish all of the U.S. Opens and PGAs or most of them were, were played on the West Coast. I just think it's a it's a great time of the year. You know, both of those events being uh, May and June, it's just a great time of the year. Weather wise out there, you're not going to have to worry about any type of complications. They have phenomenal golf courses uh, up and down the coast uh, inland. Of course, the ones, uh, you know, that are, that are a little more famous, maybe along the coast, but uh and the primetime viewership that allows for the East Coast viewer um, to be able to kind of kick back on a Saturday and a Sunday and watch these guys play in, in the evening. You can go out and play around yourself that morning and not feel like you're going to miss any of the coverage. Um, so I'm thrilled to see this L.A. Country Club and how it presents itself. I, 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 I've liked that the USGA has opted to, to try some different courses for the U.S. Open in recent years. Not all of them have necessarily been a success, but everything I've hear and understand about LA country club is, is geared for major championship golf and, and what we've come to expect from the U S open, uh, you know, testing every part of your game, just, just it's no different than Augusta national, uh, quality ball striking golf course. And, uh, we've got so many talented players with West coast roots. I think certainly if you were forming a list out there, that, that some of those guys are going to have to be near the top of yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the course plays. I mean, of course, like yourself, I haven't really ever seen it. Just reading about it, hearing what people rave about it. Um, it doesn't give me like winged foot or Shinnecock vibes. It feels more like it could play like Southern Hills last year where scores won't be super low, but there you, you could, you know, get some guys five, six under par, which I know some people don't like in a U.S. Open, but it's it's at the end of the day, the, the cream rises to the top uh, regardless, I feel like, with, with the way that tournament is typically set up. Uh, you mentioned primetime viewing. That'll be tough for those of us uh, over here in the U.K. It'll be very late at night, but uh, I think it, it'll be it'll be worth staying up for, for sure. Uh, if This is a, a difficult question, Brian, but of the three venues right now, is there anybody you feel like could be a really great course fit, you know, headed into, into the major season this year? Well, Max Soma at, at LA North, he has the course record. He shot mm-hmm. 61 in a college tournament there when he was at Cal Berkeley. So uh, I think Homa has taken, I don't, I think we've, he's taken that step to be considered among the elite players. Um, 
I've been thinking about that uh, that four iron he hit on 16 at Torrey Pines last Sunday or Saturday, excuse me, all week. Like just to not not just the execution, but the the ability to step up in that moment when he really needed a great shot and perform. I mean, that's not something we see all the time. Um, it would have been easy to hit the conservative shot there and just hope something good happened on the next two holes. But uh, I, I would certainly think he and Colin Morikawa would be very much at the top of my list. Uh, I think Morikawa's got a game which is uh, going geared for the U.S. Open. I mean, you're talking about a guy who hit 80% of his fairways at Torrey Pines last week. Yeah. And certainly we know that, that, that you have to be in the fairway at the U.S. Open to score consistently. And uh, his iron play is among the best in the world as well. And I think he's continuing to try to improve his short game and putting. But when you hit the ball that pure, you don't have to rely on it quite as much as, as others. And two putt pars at the U.S. Open are generally good scores. Um, yeah. So I, I think uh, with his roots out there and his ability in major championships with two to his credit already, certainly he th- those guys would be on my short list. And then guys like Patrick Cantley another Californian and Xander Schauffele mm-hmm. would uh, also have to factor in there uh, two, two players uh, that are uh, earn their right among the best in the world. But uh, folks are waiting on each of those guys to, to win a major championship. And I think this could be, this could be an opportunity uh, for them. And, and really that, that, that's kind of the core guys that I'm looking at also at Oak Hill. Um, mm-hmm. Some of those same guys, uh, maybe throw a Cam Young in there as a guy who, who grew up in New York and will, you know, be somewhat of a home game for him and is uh, very comfortable on the, those old classic Northeastern type championship golf courses and uh, possesses all the physical tools that you could ever hope for. And has proved last year in two of the majors that he is uh, worthy of stepping up, you know, when the, when the test is the most difficult. Um, Matt Fitzpatrick is another guy that who I think you have to consider. I know he's, dealing with a little bit of a neck issue right now, maybe not full strength, but uh, I'm sure he'll get that cleared up. And I mean, he's a guy that anytime even par or four or five under is going to be the winning score with his uh, newfound length off the tee and his short game, he is certainly, uh, uh, and now with a major championship under his belt, you know, you see guys historically that, um, it's hard to win a major. There's only four a year and all the best players are there. So your game has to be firing. The golf course has to be a good fit. You know, there's a lot that has to go right, but it, it seems like um, when, when a guy wins that first one and he's a world-class player, a, a couple more can follow, you know, in the next few years. And then that might be it. You know, his time might be up three or four majors and, and that's a phenomenal achievement. But uh, I think Fitzpatrick's one of those guys that now that he's done it and have gotten the, the monkey off his back of being able to win in the U S and things of that nature, which was a little bit overplayed in my, my opinion. Um, I think he, he's the guy that I would, uh, you know, I know kill has been remodeled since we've seen it last, I guess, I think Jason Duffner won the PGA was the last time that, that a major was held there. And he, he did that. Uh, I just remember from watching that tournament with just ball striking excellence, like media, very mediocre putting, but just literally striking his irons, um, giving himself great birdie opportunities on nearly every hole. And, but I know that there's been a remodel there. I'm sure some length has been added um, to it. Um, and I, I'm sure it will be a, uh, it's always been a fair test going back to Curtis Strange winning the U S open there and certainly had a Ryder cup there. And I mean, it's always been a great test of golf up there in Rochester. Yeah. Uh, 
I think Morikawa is kind of the guy I'm most interested in seeing this major season just because he got off to such a hot start in his career. Uh, last year, you know, I, I would think even by his own standards or admission wasn't his best, you know, he probably expected more from himself in the major tournaments. And it looked like he was kind of going to be the guy of this new young generation. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing him uh, try and, you know, win a third and get get to three very, very quickly in a young career. Uh, but he's playing some really good golf right now with, uh, you know, I know he faltered a little bit on the Sunday at the Century, but still a brilliant three-round display there and uh, another, you know, a top five or a top ten at least uh, this past weekend in Torrey. Uh, we're recording this, you know, on Thursday. So round one of the uh, Pebble Beach Pro-Am is going on right now. And uh, we headed into the Waste Management Open next week, which is, you know, the second designated event of the season because Century was the first, but that was a very, very small field. So this is going to be kind of the first real designated event with a with an average normal size field and whatnot. What do you think of the uh, PGA Tour schedule this year, the adjustments they've kind of made to answer live golf coming into the picture and uh, designated events as a whole? It seems like they're going to be positive for the game, but they might hurt some smaller tournaments, if you will. Uh, what are just kind of your thoughts on the the changes to this year's schedule? Yeah, I think you nailed it. Um, I love it as a golf writer, as a golf fan, as, as someone who can kind of pencil in these weeks on the calendar that you better tune in because I think what we all will always want to see um, is the best players competing against one another. And um, in, in tournaments where, where there's a lot of interest, where there's, a, you know, uh, where the galleries are engaged. Um, and, and we know we're going to get that now with the, with the, with the arrangement that, that's been made. And uh, the players certainly have all the incentive to not only uh, play well enough to keep being able to play in these events, but it get, it's great motivation for those guys who aren't quite there yet to make sure that they can uh, earn their way into these fields as well. So I, I think that's going to be terrific. What it means for the long-term future of, of the tour, I, I really don't know. Um, I, I think I'm, I'm sitting here, you're talking about Pebble Beach, and I, I'm, AT&T has been a longtime sponsor of, the, of this tournament and a loyal, you know, a sponsor for the tour. And I think about like when I was caddying 20 years ago and one year Tiger finished first and VJ finished second and they were one and two in the world. Phil Mickelson won the tournament. And, and basically those were the top three guys of that era, maybe throw Ernie Els in there as well, but you could count on a extremely strong field. Uh, it was kind of an elevated purse for that uh, time period. And unfortunately that event has already kind of been, Push to the wayside with the Saudi International Tournament going opposite the last few years. You know, a lot of the top players have opted to go over there and have done so again this this year. And then that's only going to, you know, when you look at these tournaments in the summer, which historically have not drawn a very strong field to begin with. Uh, I mean, are, it's going to be difficult for sponsors to justify continuing to come back every year and every or every five years and make that commitment to sponsor the golf tournament when knowing full well that, uh, you know, the, these top players are going to play a, a big chunk of golf from January through May. And then it's going to be very sporadic 
through June, July, and August. Um, many are going to go over now because the Scottish Open is a PGA Tour sanctioned event and an elevated event. They're going to go over and play play that, play the Open Championship, and then they, you know, probably not really pop back up until the playoffs. So, so there are you're talking about eight or 10 weeks in there where it's going to be very hit or miss as far as fields. And then, you know, obviously this will be the last year. They haven't really figured out what to do with the fall. I think that's uh, unclear at this point, but it's not going to be a wraparound season like we've seen for the last decade or so. There will be events in the fall. And uh, to my understanding, those will be an opportunity for players to elevate their own status, you know, move up a tier to, to give themselves a better position uh, going forward, but, um, you know, who's going to tune in? It's, you know, American football season in the fall. The NFL is by far the most popular sport in this country. College football is not too far behind it. Uh, folks just do not think of, uh, think about golf. You know, they may play their own golf that time of the year, but they're not really, I think the, the FedEx cup has the tour championship is a definitive end to the season. And with that being, uh, before Labor Day, uh, it's um, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. I think we're going to there's they're going to have to probably lose some tournaments along the way. Unfortunately, there'll, there'll be some events that just go by the wayside. And for the viewer, that's not necessarily the worst thing, but it'll it, it, it's going to affect the bottom line when it comes to PGA Tour revenue. I would imagine um, it'll be interesting to see how that affects players' paychecks if it does at all. But um, the tour's got a lot of questions that. Well, people seem to think have easy answers when there there's not. There's going to be some sort of negative effect for someone uh, with the decisions that they're going to have to make moving forward. Uh, one thing that we have to look forward to this year and kind of the, the theme of uh, this podcast that Connor Keen and I host is the Ryder Cup. Uh, we are very lo- much looking forward to that. He takes uh, Team Europe's representation as a man from Northern Ireland, and I take the Team USA perspective. Brian, uh, who, you know, do you have any guys that aren't really on the radar right now for either side who you think could make a run to try and get in the Ryder Cup this year? No, that's a great, that's a good point. You know, certainly we've seen a lot of change to what we would have assumed. We were going to see some of that change anyway, as it pertained to Europe, but just by, because of age, uh, you had a lot of uh, long time members of that team. Uh, Sergio Garcia, Ian Poulter, Lee Westwood, Justin Rose, Luke Donald, guys you could just count on being on that team year in, year out, who who were just on the back end of their career. So there was going to be opportunity. And then now with the way things have kind of played out, um, it's going to be a much, much different looking team Europe for sure than we've come to expect. Uh, uh, Victor Perez is a guy who uh, you know won last week or two weeks ago who I, I think uh, is in very good position to make that team. Uh, Adrian Maroc is a guy who I, I very much have enjoyed watching his development. I know he had a big win at the end of last year and certainly is the kind of uh, prototypical modern professional with his power and uh, kind of a trailblazer there as the first uh, real professional golfer from Poland. Um I know that Francesco Molinari with the event being held in Italy is going to be doing everything he can. I think we've seen some early signs that maybe his game is trending back upward. I mean, people forget that in 2019, before he hit the ball in the water on the 12th hole on uh, Sunday, you know, he was uh, right there, had been leading the golf tournament and had 
won the Open Championship the year before and was rightfully considered one of the top four or five players in the world. Hasn't really been the same since then. I, I think the pandemic and, and all that that entailed probably affected his desire and, and uh, you know, ability to, to prepare. But um, it's, uh, you know, you're looking at maybe a guy like Alex Norin, who mm-hmm. has been a solid player, played quite a bit in, in the U.S., uh, contended quite a bit, never won, uh, but he's in a pretty good pretty good position to, to earn his way onto that team. So uh, Jordan Smith is a guy that um, got a deep dive. I think a lot of, you know, some of the American fans who dabble in fantasy and betting markets are aware of how good Jordan Smith is. Uh, his ball striking is, is world-class and, and when he putts well, uh, Ryan Fox um, would, would uh, Ryan Fox, not eligible, excuse me, being from New Zealand, but uh, another guy who has done very well in the DP world tour uh, in recent years. Um, so I, I think uh, that that's going to be, that's going to be interesting to watch how that unfolds. Certainly the top of that team with Rory, Rom, Fitzpatrick, and Hovland is as good as you could ask for. I mean, you could put yeah. those, put those four up against anybody in the world. Um, I think when you look at the American side, there's eight guys right now that I would bet my life will be on the team. Uh, Scheffler, Zalatoris, Justin Thomas, Morikawa, Spieth, Camion, Finau, and Cantley. So there's basically four spots. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you've got some veteran guys who, who who look like Keegan Bradley looks like he's enjoying a resurgence. I have a, uh, a contact down at the Grove, Michael Jordan's place in Florida, where a lot of the top players play in practice. And I have received a couple of reports that, Keegan has been out there working as hard on his game as anyone. Um, certainly had a great week uh, there at Torrey Pines. Um, he won in the fall. So, I mean, he's a major champion. He's someone who's played on Ryder Cup and President's Cup teams. Uh, I'm sure is desperate to get back there. Uh, Sam Burns is a guy that I would fully expect to, to earn his way on. Uh, he got a taste of it there at the President's Cup, and I'm sure he, he wants to, to hop back in there. And uh, Sahitha Gala is a guy who I think would be a perfect addition for the four balls. Mm. Um, makes a ton of birdies. You know, it can get a little loose with it. So maybe not the best alternate shot partner, but um, just young and you could pair him with a veteran or, or you know, a, a Tony Finau or a stabling, stabilizing influence uh, who's been through it a little bit and just kind of turn him loose. And if he makes five or six birdies and three or four X's, you know, that's okay in that format. Um, I expect him to win this year uh, at some point. And, and uh, certainly if he were to win between now and the Ryder cup, then uh, he would most likely earn his way onto the team. And, it's crazy. It's crazy thinking about just the names that you've just said for the team USA, how much, you know, more, how they're definitely more household names than the guys for team Europe that are going to be rounding out the squad. Uh, but that's just kind of the, the dynamics of the golf world right now. There's a lot of depth on that USA side compared to team Europe right now. No doubt. Uh, we just have, have seen all of these talented young players who, who really grew up watching Tiger Woods and um, modeling things about their own game after him and, 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 certain ways some more so than others but i think all you know even we're able to just gather from him okay this is what it how it's supposed to look what can i what am i not doing what can i do with my fitness with nutrition with the way that i practice with my mental game to to conduct myself uh and put myself in position 
to to contend in as many of these championships as possible. And the the U.S. side, after years of kind of having a little bit of continuity at the top, but not much success, it seems like now they have a core group of guys who've been successful, who expect to be successful, who take the Ryder Cup very seriously, and and uh, the camaraderie uh, seems to be. Uh, you know, Homa, I heard him on a podcast, you know, obviously the President's Cup was his first opportunity. And, and I left him off that list, uh, too. He's certainly going to be on the team as well. So there's a ninth guy. But um, he was just talking about just how cool it was, just the whole experience of, of watching his peers practice at the level at which they practice and the focus that they had while everybody was having fun in the team room, that even on Tuesday leading up to the event when when they went out with their individual caddies to, to practice or play that everybody was, was all business and, and, and um, how he was trying to carry that with him through the PGA tour schedule as well. That's good to hear as an, as a USA fan, for sure. So uh, Ryan, I'll get you out of here, but real quick, just two rapid fire questions from, for you, from myself to you uh, would love kind of getting your take on this as a, as a former caddy. What is, Let's exclude the majors and uh, let's exclude even the players' championship out of the normal stops on tour. What's your favorite course and who has your favorite professional swing right now? That's a good question. Um, my favorite course is Riviera and Harbortown. Okay. Um, and and Harbortown was my favorite tournament. Uh, just the whole vibe there was great. Um, after so many weeks of being in big cities and being, you know, it was always cool to go there and be in this small little village for, for a golf tournament and, and really a neat golf course that was unique to what you saw. You know, you had to think about how to attack it a lot differently than the average tour course. My favorite swing in golf right now is probably Nelly Corda. <laughs> and if I, um, Cameron Young would probably be second. I just think young, uh, obviously growing up the, the son of a teaching pro and uh, being blessed with uh, tremendous size and, you know, strength and power off the tee, but just his, uh, yeah, I just have always admired these guys who can pause it like that and just not be in a rush whatsoever in transition. I think that's what 99% of us amateurs fight is uh, the transition from the, from the backswing to the downswing and uh, the way that he's able to just kind of, collect his power and then unleash it on the ball at the right time. Uh, I expect that to hold up for a very long time. To me, his swing looks a little less violent than, uh, than some of the other players, but he's, again, he's gifted. I mean, he's a, he's a pretty strapping fella. Um, you know, he doesn't have to necessarily max out to generate uh, tremendous power. I'm pretty sure I mean, he's one of the longest drivers on tour and even, you know, with, yeah. with that smooth, it's, it's almost smooth violence, if you will. But. <laughs> Brian, thank you so much again for joining me. Really, really love this talk. Maybe hopefully have you on uh, maybe when we get even closer to the Masters or after the, master, after the Masters or something. Thank you so much, man. And uh, have a great weekend, sir. Yeah, thank you, Jackson. And I would love to uh, do it anytime. Appreciate you having me. Awesome.